You're not always in control of your focus, especially when it comes to noise. Some you notice. Others fade into the background. If you pause this podcast right now and listen, you can probably identify a few ambient sounds, a fan whirring, the honking of distant traffic, the drone of a refrigerator. Background noises are a part of everyday life. For the most part, they slip past your brain's auditory cortex unnoticed. But occasionally, they force their way front and center, penetrating your every thought, shaking your every body part, occupying every moment of every day. Maddening, isn't it? For some people, there is no pause button. They suffer under the constant oppression of an inescapable, non-stop drone. They call it the hum. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a podcast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. In today's one-part episode, we're covering The Hum, an invasive low-frequency sound that has been reported all over the world. From New Mexico to Great Britain to the tropical island of Borneo, no matter where the hum surfaces, only about 2% of any population can hear it, and its source is never clear. It's left scientists wondering, where does it come from? And what makes some people immune while the hum drives others mad? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The first complaints about a persistent, unidentifiable, low-frequency sound were recorded in Britain in the 1940s. Those were followed by reports in the United States, Asia, and Canada. But the hum remained most pervasive in the United Kingdom. 
By the 1970s, those unlucky enough to hear the hum had been given a name. Hummers or hearers. They lived predominantly in rural areas where the lack of ambient noise made the hum all the more audible. For most hearers, it worsened indoors. The incessant drone vibrated the walls of their home. Some even felt it inside their bodies, so powerfully that their teeth chattered. Every victim of the hum reacted differently to its presence. Side effects included headaches, vertigo, upset stomachs, even nosebleeds. But above all, with no other distractions, the lingering drone made it impossible for hearers to fall asleep. At night, when the quiet of the countryside used to lull them to sleep, the hum grew louder. Some of the afflicted moved their beds to different parts of the room to try and escape the sound. Others padded their bed frames, hoping that the extra cushioning would prevent the murmuring vibrations from reaching them. Nothing worked. The sound drove wedges into relationships. Many hearers stopped sharing a bed because their inability to sleep became too disruptive for their partner. Some resorted to sleeping in a tent or shed. For whatever reason, they found the hum less powerful outside. Seemingly innocuous side effects snowballed into major upheavals. Personalities turned sour. Stress triggered health complications. Marriages and careers crumbled. According to the BBC, at least one person suffering under the hum in the UK was driven to end their life. Rosemarie Mann, a hearer in the small English village of Romsey, understood the impulse to commit suicide. Having endured the hum since 1987, she considered the option herself. A life consumed by a galling, inescapable drone often didn't seem worth living. She described the experience of living with the hum as a kind of torture. For the first few years, I lost sleep, couldn't concentrate, and was unable to do anything. I was constantly in tears, which put a great strain on my husband. It has changed me from an active, creative person to a stifled, angry pessimist. Mann sought the care of a psychiatrist. She found antidepressants helped improve her mood. An electric fan could sometimes drown out the sound, but nothing provided true relief. The hum depleted man's energy. With no escape from it and no idea how to control it, she couldn't focus on anything else. But according to man, sleep deprivation and changes in her personality weren't the hum's most detrimental effects. The worst part, she said, was how isolated it made her feel. She said, when you talk about it, other people assume you're hearing things and think perhaps you're going mad. The hum's unique torture expanded beyond its irritations. Hearers lived in a constant state of agony and had to explain their torture to everyone they met. Because most of the time, a person irritated by the hum couldn't find anyone else that could hear it. Man worried that her peers, and perhaps even members of her family, thought she was going insane. At some point, she must have wondered the same about herself. Skeptics often dismissed hearers as mentally disturbed, and not just because there were so few of them. 
Although many reported similar side effects, some of the hum's victims didn't suffer from the same sound. Others thought the hum might not exist at all. Cynics held that opinion for two reasons. First, hearers heard the noise from widely disparate locations. In the UK alone, during the 1970s and 80s, complaints came in from Bristol to Southampton to Hertfordshire, a distance of over 200 miles. It seemed unlikely that a single sound could travel all the way across the country. For example, the average human can only hear thunder from about 10 miles away. Most importantly, the descriptions of the hum varied widely. For Rosemary Mann, it sounded like powerful machinery thrumming in the faraway distance. Katie Jakes, a 69-year-old retired grandmother in Leeds, England, described the hum as almost like a diesel car idling in the distance. It has a rhythm. It goes up and down. An anonymous hearer described the noise to the Guardian as incessant heavy metal music he felt rumbling inside his body. Another nameless victim said they heard a mechanical noise, like a machine run amok. The inconsistencies didn't end there. Some said the sound was akin to the high-pitched screech of a car peeling out. Others insisted that it was a low, deep rumble. Some swore that the sound had a pulsating, throbbing quality, while still others said it remained maddeningly flat and consistent. With so much variation, people found it difficult to believe that the hum was an authentic phenomenon. Many skeptics thought the hum was an auditory hallucination, Luckily, British hearers had a small breakthrough in 1982. Physicist Ronald Walford tracked down about 2,000 of those affected in order to better understand what exactly tormented them. But Walford only ended up testing about 48 out of the 2,000. Of those, he only identified a clear source of the sound in 14 cases. Hearers needed more comprehensive results and conclusive solutions. In 1989, hearer Hugh Witherington answered his peers' desperate pleas. He organized the Low Frequency Noise Sufferers Association, abbreviated LFNSA. Up until this point, any requests for help from the local or national government were basically ignored. But with the LFNSA, Witherington lobbied the Department of the Environment, a national agency charged with regulating how industrial development affects the environment. If any bureaucratic system could address the hum, the DOE was it. In 1992, the LFNSA prevailed. The Department of the Environment budgeted 50,000 British pounds to research the phenomenon and set up a contract with sound research laboratories. After so many years of fruitless requests, it represented a major breakthrough for hearers and a big about-face for the government. When the news broke, science media outlet The New Scientist published an article with the tongue-in-cheek headline, Officials Eat Humble Pie Over Mystery Noise. Hearers desperately hoped that this new development would mean more than just recognition. They wanted relief. 
Sound Research Laboratories pledge to use the funds to find the hum's source. They plan to create a method for local authorities to locate the hum's origin in every reported area. It all sounded very promising. Hearers hoped that the horrible noise would finally be identified and then eliminated. But after two years, the research didn't turn up anything useful. By the mid-90s, membership in the LFNSA grew to about 600 members. However, the founder, Hugh Witherington, claimed that at least 10,000 British citizens suffered from the hum. Witherington believed that his organization represented a vulnerable group that shouldn't be ignored. They were canaries in a mineshaft. Something dangerous could be coming. If the hum continued to spread unchecked, nobody knew what could happen. The global population might be struck sick and miserable by an unseeable and unbeatable enemy. The hum might drive the world into chaos. Coming up, we examine how sound can be weaponized. Hi, it's Richard. Ready to hear about my new favorite Spotify original from Parcast? It's called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, and it uncovers the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, she'll expose the personal and professional controversies you may never knew existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as Richard Nixon, George Washington, Teddy Roosevelt, JFK, and more. Very Presidential highlights the exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. Follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. In the 1970s, an incessant drone called the hum tormented thousands of people in the United Kingdom. Side effects reportedly included headaches, nausea, sleep deprivation, and chest pains. By the 90s, the strange phenomenon popped up in other corners of the world, most famously in Taos, New Mexico. British hearer Hugh Witherington was right. The number of people suffering from the hum was on the rise globally. Scientists determined the hum was real, but they didn't fully understand how it caused such extreme psychological and physical dysfunction, especially in such a select group of people. First, we'll unpack the basic physical properties of sound like the hum. This information sheds light on a few of the hum's oddest characteristics, like why it's so difficult to identify and why only a few people are able to hear it. Although hearers describe the hum differently, most identify the phenomenon as a low-frequency sound. Examples of low-frequency sounds include the beat of a bass drum and the rumble of thunder. 
you can generally recognize a sound's frequency by its pitch. The lower the frequency, the lower the pitch. More technically, low frequency means that the crests and valleys of the sound waves are more spread out. According to Dr. Andy Morehouse, professor of engineering acoustics and vibration at Salford University, human hearing is better attuned to high-frequency sounds. Evolutionarily, this makes sense because human voices have a relatively high frequency. When processing high-frequency sounds, the human oral system is usually able to determine which direction a given sound is coming from and how loud it is. However, low-frequency sounds are more difficult to locate. Because the sound waves are more spread out, they register differently between one ear and the other. The result is that deeper sounds often feel as if they're surrounding the listener rather than coming from an identifiable direction. According to David Bagley, a professor of hearing sciences at the University of Nottingham, another unique property of low-frequency sounds is their ability to penetrate material. Imagine you're standing inside your house when a truck drives by. The truck sounds quieter from inside, but volume isn't the only difference. From indoors, you're only hearing the lower frequencies, like the rumbling engine. Any high-frequency sounds the truck makes, like a squeaky frame, is filtered out. The hum's low frequency explained why it was so pervasive. Its source could be miles away from a hearer because low-frequency sound is able to travel through obstacles with relative ease. The behavior of low-frequency sound also accounts for the frustrating difficulty of locating the hum's source. Human ears can't determine which direction a deep noise is coming from. If you're curious to experience the hum for yourself, it's easy to find a video. Try searching for Tao's hum, Auckland hum, or Bristol hum on YouTube. But be forewarned, it's unnerving. The hum's pervasiveness and the feeling that it's coming from every direction contribute to its worst quality the inability to ignore it. In general, the human ear and brain filter out sounds that are repetitive and identified. When spending a day at the ocean, the waves are audible, but you're probably not actively hearing them. After a while, you become desensitized. The waves fade to background noise. But the hum refuses to become background noise. Because hearers can't identify the source of the hum, Dr. Andy Morehouse theorizes that their auditory systems must not be able to classify the sound as such. Instead of relegating the repetitive hum to the comfortable recesses of the unconscious, those affected are forced to live with the hum in the forefront of their mind. It dominates their every thought. It's relatively self-evident how the hum can be psychologically oppressive. Understanding why and how it causes so much physical harm is less clear. But believe it or not, sound has been an effective weapon of war since biblical times, when trumpet-wielding priests rattled the walls of Jericho. Recently, Chinese scientists unveiled a weapon that utilized infrasound. Infrasound refers to inaudible sounds that vibrate below 20 hertz. 
But just because the human ear can't register anything below 20 hertz doesn't mean the rest of the body doesn't react to it. The scientists who developed the weapon at the Chinese Academy of Sciences Technical Institute of Physics and Chemistry claimed it caused extreme discomfort with vibrations in the eardrums, eyeballs, stomach, liver, and brain. Scientists designed the tool as a non-lethal method of crowd disbursement. According to the BBC, infrasound weapons can cause vomiting and diarrhea. In 2004, the United States used a similar weapon called a long-range acoustic device, or LRAD. The LRAD separated crowds during the war in Iraq. In 2014, police used the same weapon against American citizens protesting the murder of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. In 2018, an American diplomat in Guangzhou, China, said he suffered a traumatic brain injury after hearing strange sounds and experiencing pressure in his ears over several months. American officials suspected that a covert sonic attack might be responsible, but China formally denied the accusation. It's possible that the hum is a hostile attack on American citizens similar to the alleged attack on the diplomats stationed in China. There's no proof to back up that theory, but of course, there wouldn't be. Sound is a uniquely clandestine weapon. It leaves no evidence behind, and dangerous low-frequency sound is nearly impossible to trace. Science explained why the hum was so damaging to the human psyche and body, but why so few people were able to hear it and feel its effects was still a mystery. Some experts hypothesized that anyone who heard the hum had especially acute hearing. They could detect frequencies lower than the average person. Dr. Franz Gunter Frosch proved this theory when he tested 162 hearers as a part of an academic study. 86% of them had normal to above average hearing. However, superpowered hearing wasn't the only physiological difference Dr. Frosch found. It's also likely that the hum plagued some victims because their psyche was more susceptible to the stress of low-frequency sound. Chris Borak, an acoustic consultant working in Bristol, said that two people with the same hearing ability can be exposed to the same sound in a controlled test and have wildly different responses. Borak claimed it has to do with the individual psychology. It's a minefield trying to assess who's going to be bothered by it. The hum's physical properties demystified a lot of its odd realities. Why it's so hard to identify, why it's so harmful, and why so few people are affected by it. But the central mystery still remained. Where is it coming from? A few theories tried to identify a worldwide source for the hum. One of the most chilling ideas had resurfaced often, perhaps because the hum sounded otherworldly. Some believed that the source of the pervasive unidentified drone was an unidentified flying object, better known as a UFO. Investigators traced at least one sound associated with the hum to an aircraft, but only locally. In February 2014, 
An unearthly sound drew locals in Coventry, England out of their houses. They described it as being straight out of the science fiction film Independence Day. Thankfully, this iteration of the hum didn't last forever. Officials identified the culprit as an airplane concealed by cloud cover. The UFO theory is difficult to prove or disprove. But it's hard to imagine that aliens would be able to disguise every other indication of their presence on Earth except sound. So scientists searched for answers that were closer to home. In 2015, Fabrice Ardouin of the French National Center for Scientific Research announced that he'd made a breakthrough. He postulated that the waves continuously vibrating the ocean's floor caused the hum. It was a nice idea, but there were immediate logical issues with Ardouin's hypothesis. It didn't explain how inland locations like Taos, New Mexico, were hotspots for the hum. In places like Bristol, the hum waxed and waned, sometimes over the course of a year, sometimes over the course of a day. Ocean waves experience occasional swells, but for the most part, they're consistent. There was a fundamental problem with any theory about a worldwide source for the hum. If hearers were all being tortured by the same sound, why did they describe different noises? In 1995, experts measured the hum's frequency in Taos, New Mexico. They recorded frequencies that ranged from 30 hertz to 80 hertz. For context, the lowest bass drum hits register at about 20 hertz, and the low end of the human voice ranges between 100 to 120 hertz. In addition, when Joe Kelly, an ear, nose, and throat expert at the University of New Mexico, asked hearers from Taos to recreate the hum using a signal generator, they selected frequencies in a similarly wide range, anywhere from 33 hertz to 80 hertz. These findings show that there was not one single hum. There were hums. And if there were hums, it meant there were multiple sources. Various hums have plagued Bristol, England for decades. Locals have publicly complained about similar noises since the 1970s, and they are still a feature of the city today. Every time investigators found the source and eliminated the problem, another sound took its place. It was like a twisted game of whack-a-mole. In the 1970s, when 800 Bristol residents complained about a consistent throbbing noise keeping them awake, investigators discovered that the sound came from a factory that operated 24 hours a day. But after the source was identified and taken care of, the hum made a comeback. This time, the source was harder to identify. Chris Borak, a Bristol acoustic expert, blamed the latest problem on local traffic. Another theory was that it might just be wind turbines. Others floated the idea that industrial structures like electricity pylons and massive gas piping were the culprits. But powering down the sites didn't resolve the situation for every hearer. They couldn't escape the hum. Sometimes, when the external source couldn't be identified, hearers redirected their search to inside themselves. Coming up, 
we'll examine whether the hum might originate inside the human body. Now, back to the story. Leading experts believe that the hum is not a single sound, but many. It would more aptly be referred to as the hums. They theorize that the phenomenon refers to a broad range of low-frequency sounds between 30 and 80 hertz. It's the difference between this tone, which you probably didn't hear, and this one. Not all humans hear or react to low-frequency sound the same. Those who register the hum are simply the unlucky 2% of the population that suffer when exposed to low-frequency sound long-term. Unfortunately, there's no reliable method of determining the source of the sounds plaguing hearers. This reality has left many of them in a desperate situation, physically ill and mentally strained. To find a solution, experts explored every possible explanation, even that the hum might be a physiological condition. Tinnitus is a term used to describe the experience of hearing sounds from inside the body. Most commonly, tinnitus is associated with a high-pitched ringing in the ears, usually after exposure to loud noises. For example, someone standing close to an amp at a music concert. But tinnitus can also be the sound of your jaw squeaking in your ears, or your own heartbeat. It's possible that hearers were picking up on a low-frequency sound generated by their own bodies. The call was literally coming from inside the house. Dr. Jonathan Hazel, head of research at the Royal National Institute for the Deaf, felt confident that most hearers were experiencing tinnitus. Hazel claimed that everybody who has tinnitus complains at first of environmental noise. Hearers are a group of people who cannot accept that they have tinnitus. Dr. Franz Gunter Frosch's research supported Dr. Hazel's theory. Through observation, questionnaires, and testing, Frosch identified three significant features that characterized hearers' experience. First, 60% of the subjects reported that the hum changed or interacted with other environmental sound. Some even said that the hum syncopated with other identifiable noises. Second, 55% of subjects experienced a reprieve from the hum for two or three days after long-distance air travel. And third, 37% reported that they stopped hearing the hum when they rotated their chin from side to side. If a head rotation affected the victim's auditory experience, the sound likely originated inside the inner ear. It was proof, at least for these hearers, that the hum was tinnitus. To understand why, it's important first to understand the basics about how the human ear works. Normally, the ear's external structure gathers sound waves and funnels them down the ear canal, all the way to the eardrum. Sound waves then make the eardrum vibrate. Those vibrations travel through semicircular canals until they reach three small bones which also vacillate. The bone's movement makes the fluid inside the spiraled part of the inner ear, known as the cochlea, move. Our brains then interpret that movement as sound. 
Frosch knew that head rotation would most likely affect vibrations moving through the semicircular canals into the cochlea. Based on that knowledge, Frosch postulated that the hum is actually energy originating inside the semicircular canal. This renegade power makes the fluid in the cochlea move, which the hearer's brain interprets as a low-frequency sound. That said, Frosch admitted that additional research is required to determine what causes the energy inside the semicircular canals. Scientists don't understand how the energy sustains itself and keeps hearers in perpetual misery. But Frosch's findings were significant. He summarized his results in writing. He said, for the majority of hearers, the hum may represent a rare form of tinnitus that has nothing to do with external sounds. In other words, Frosch identified the hum's source, but couldn't present a solution. The hum could be an unknown and uncontrollable energy source, and many of its victims could still be without relief. Whether external or internal, it may not be possible to eliminate the hum, but it is possible to change a person's reaction to it. Human hearing evolved to help primitive members of the species respond to threats. When an unexpected or unidentified sound enters the human ear canal, the brain amplifies the noise and redirects resources toward evaluating it. But it's not just unexpected sounds that get our attention. Our conscious brain can have a role in identifying noises that put us on high alert. Dr. David Bagley, chief of the audiology department at Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge, uses the example of a protective, anxious parent. After hours of waiting for a teenager to return late at night, when their kid's keys finally jingle in the door, it sounds much louder to the parent than it actually is. Anxiety makes it difficult to differentiate between threatening and non-threatening sensory input. A relaxed person might be able to hear the hum, but their oral system classifies it as non-invasive background noise. But an anxious oral system might be unable to make that designation, leaving the hearer stuck with the hum at front of mind. This heightened sense is useful when humans need to react quickly to stimuli. But once it identifies a sound as a threat, it's difficult to reclassify it. For the hum's victims, an overactive stress response could be leading to a damaging, inescapable feedback loop. Once sufferers are focused on the hum, their brain turns up the volume. Once fixated, the listeners feel anxious. That anxiety encourages the brain to amplify the sound again, and around and around the victim goes. In order to break the endless cycle, Dr. Bagley developed a trial in 2009 with the Acoustics Laboratory at the University of Salford to test a new treatment. He wanted to use a combination of therapy and relaxation exercises to help hearers free their brains from their stressed reactions to the hum. Although reporters interviewed Dr. Bagley early in his treatment trial, he was optimistic about the results. His techniques appeared to deaden the hum or silence it entirely. For years, Dr. Bagley saw patients in his clinic who were desperate to find relief from the hum, 
Now, he was finally able to offer them help. Both the findings of Dr. David Bagley and Dr. Franz Gunter Frosch were major advancements for hearers. However, neither man completely solved the mystery of the hum. Frosch reported that a small number of self-identified hearers in his study didn't experience any of the three features he pinpointed. Frosch concluded that the outliers in his study suffered for completely different, unknown reasons. As for Dr. Bagley's treatment, it's supposedly only as effective as patients want it to be. Some victims were so fixated on eliminating the source of their torture that they couldn't adjust their behavior. They couldn't eliminate their anxiety. In other words, for some, the hum remains a lifelong affliction. It haunts the unfortunate few who continue to hear its debilitating call. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Hannah McIntosh with writing assistance by Allie Wicker and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hi, it's Richard, and I'm back to remind you to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing wildly true stories about history's most high-profile leaders. There's torrid love affairs, shocking blackmail schemes, and even murder. I think you're really going to get a kick out of it. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.